Yo kids, this is Nick the Tooth, and today I am joined by my co-host and publisher of the Infinite Worlds magazine, Winston Ward. Alright dude, here we are to discuss perhaps one of, I think, the greatest series of 2020, a year of complete mayhem and pandemonium, but we did have a great addition to the Star Wars universe, and that is Mandalorian. Awesome. Um, this is a very exciting one for me as well. Like normally I'm a kind of a Star Wars hater a little bit, but I also thoroughly enjoy this TV show. So I'm really excited to get a chance to dive into it, talk some trivia, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's cool. And, and what's great about it is, you know, John Favreau as a director and creator of this, once again, just knocked it completely mm-hmm. out of the park with not only the writing and the development of, you know, this spaghetti Western type sub universe within Star Wars, but the casting was just amazing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great visual effects, great production quality. Like you said, tons of great cameos. Definitely a highly recommended show, and I'm really glad that we get to dive into it some. Yeah, totally great. Buckle up. This is the way. All right, dude, what's going on, man? Here we are. It is, uh, dude, we're freaking February 2021. I cannot believe it is already February. Like, it is it is crazy. I feel like it just turned 2021 and it's that first month has already passed. So it's, it's a trip, man. I know, man. It's surreal. I mean, this whole fucking year has been surreal. I think the whole, <laughs> the crazy thing is, is it's now like really settling in to me that, it, dude, we're not going back to life as normal for a while. Yeah. End of the summer, maybe, maybe the end of the year even. Oh my God. And you know what that means, dude? If that's what they're saying, then it's going to be way later than that because. No kidding. Right. <laughs> if anybody's going to screw it up, it's the government. You know what I mean? Exactly. So. Exactly. Oh my gosh. So I right now am in, I'm back on the road journey and I'm actually so happy to be doing this. So uh, my wife and I are now in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Very cool. Oh, it's so rad. We went yesterday. We uh, we went like uh, four wheeling all the way up to Taos because there's snow, uh, snow and mud everywhere. Have you been there? I've been through New Mexico, but I've never been to Taos. When we moved out west, that was on our short list of places to visit. Probably we'll do it sometime during the summer this year. Dude, it's so Taos is so freaking cool. And so it's right like right on the Rio Grande River. I didn't know any of this cuz I've never been there. So yesterday was my first time. So we went up there and uh and then you know, we went into Taos and then we just went through these back crazy roads. Almost freaking got stuck. There was a car of guys who, who, uh, these people that had rented a four wheel drive and they asked my buddy, they were like, Hey, is it cool to follow you? Do you guys, is it safe? And he's like, Oh yeah, it's great. It's great. And as we take off, he's like, you know, I never been here when there's this much snow, (laughs) dude, it was so gnarly, man, that put it this way. By the time we finally arrived where we were going, the other car with the four wheel drive had completely smashed the bumper off of the car there. Oh their rental car. God. <laughs> <laughs> Dude. And then we had to hike along this cliff 
to get to the hot springs right on the Rio Grande River. And so it was amazing. Snow everywhere. We jumped in the hot springs. Then we jumped in. I, can't, I don't even know what the temperature of the river was. It was so cold. And then by the time we walked out, it was pitch dark and stars. And awesome. it was magical. And you're, uh, you're not used to snow at all, right? At all. At all. <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah you, you know you live you live in california now for the most part and before that from the south so it's not like there's really much snow to speak of in either of those places no none at all but you you're like an expert now in snow well yeah, I, mean, I don't know if i'm quite an expert but i'm definitely getting my share of snow on wednesday and thursday we're supposed to get six to ten inches here in denver or you know that's what they're predicting wow. anyway. That's so much. That'll be far and away the, the heaviest snowfall we've had since I've lived here. Wow. Luckily I don't drive anywhere, but my wife does. So we'll oh see how we'll gosh. see how that turns out. I mean, we put snow tires on the car and everything, but it's still just like a front wheel drive Honda Civic. No, it's it's still so heavy, right? Right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So you know what's crazy, dude, is that we're like 350 miles from you. And I was like, we should go up to Denver. We should go up to Denver and we can hang out. But it looks like the snow's gonna be so crazy. There's no yeah. way I want to take the van through that. It dude, it's like it's, it's supposed be to be gnarly. this week is supposed to be pretty gnarly, man. Like and again, sometimes they tell us that and then nothing happens. But yeah. The highways leading into Denver, when it gets really snowy, there are already some pretty busted highways. Like they're doing a ton of repair work on I twenty five south of here and if you don't come from the south then you have to come through the mountains to get to denver and that's even crazier <laughs> oh my gosh so how would we get there would we go through the south or would For we the go next, i think the easiest way would be to come over till you get to 25 and then come 25 north i would think is that is that, is that hairy as far as like well snow? 25 north kind of runs like basically through the middle of Colorado, north and south. Uh-huh. And it's not a particularly bad highway, except for they're doing a bunch of repair work between Colorado Springs and Denver right now. It's like an hour, oh, an hour yeah. or so where it's like no shoulder on the road at all. You know, they've got mm-hmm. like those barrier walls pushed all the way up against the road lines and everything. So my brother and dad live down in Colorado Springs. So I drive down there occasionally and just the just with no snow on the road driving down there is a, a stress nightmare because i colorado springs sounds awesome man i had a friend who went to school there and uh went to college there and he loved it it's i, I enjoy visiting it it's right under like the shadow of uh pike's peak which is really cool because you got like this giant mountain looming over the city it's a big military place so it's got a lot of conservative folks down there which is whatever you know i like all types of folks but i don't know how i would be looked at in a really hyper conservative community yeah. You know what's cool about Santa Fe? This is like one of the few places, like when we were in Oregon, I really dug that. It was cold, but there was surfing and it was green everywhere. But from what they said, it's just cloudy all the time. But everyone I talk to in Santa Fe, they're like, it's always sunny here. I'm like, man, this this is someplace because of what you're saying, because it's such a liberal and artsy community. I'm like, this feels really rad, man. I could yeah. spend some, some time here every year. It's really cool. Yeah, we get tons of sunny days here too in Denver. There's on average something like 325 sunny days a year. Wow. <laughs> So, you know, it's almost always sunny here. That's awesome. My wife and I's like three-year plan is to get some farmland, buy some land and go solar, live entirely off of alternative energy. Winston, because I built the van now, this is my like first experience with with solar power Mm -hmm. and I am so blown away. 
Oh, good. Because because you know what? It scales. And so if it works in like what I have, a tiny home with like 300 watts and we have like 140 amp hour lithium battery, I'm like, well, I could see how if you have a house, a small house, and you just 10 times that with a bigger like Tesla battery, I'm like, I could see how this totally works. You don't need to be on the grid at all. You know, right. for right now, the plan for us is to try to get as far away from the gr- the grid as we can. I'm not some survivalist type trying to get away from civilization necessarily, but I just don't want to be using petroleum if I could help it, you know? Yeah, yeah that's interesting. My wife still keeps her full-time job. So unless I can get a situation where I can support us both through the magazine or through getting a book published or something like that, we have to stay close enough to the city so she can keep working. Like, cause if it was up to me entirely, I'd live, I'd take us to one of the valleys right in the middle of the mountains, you know, where it's like a two hour drive to any place because it's just so, it's so beautiful there. It's so stupid, beautiful there. You would love Taos. Okay. That's right. exactly what it is. I'm sure areas of Colorado are like that. Too. Yeah. Yeah. There's like, if you drive past the front range and into like the continental divide, there is some places where it is just one, it's just epically beautiful, but two, it's just like super far from any place to get a job. Yeah. You're right. Okay, so we're, we're talking about the West. Yeah, yeah, but hold on. Here's the segue that I'm going to go into. I, we haven't touched on this in a little bit. What are you watching right now? Oh, okay. Yeah, I want to know because Colorado is right on my radar with what I'm watching. So let me hear what you're watching. I just finished watching the end of Mando, which of course for this episode. Mm-hmm. But besides that, let's see. We were watching The Stand, the CBS miniseries of Stephen King's The Stand, which is really poorly reviewed but nowhere near as bad as the reviews make it seem dude that's that's what i've been watching that's what i was gonna tell you because they could go to colorado right yeah yeah oh wow that's 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 and i watched the made for tv version from the 90s quite a few times when i was a kid oh you know on top of reading the book but this version is pretty accurate to the book so far i love it i'm trying to figure out what in the world they wanted to happen to where what the reviews were i think the casting is great yeah like i didn't like the original series for me it was like the casting every i was was too young to even be critical of it because it came out when i was like 10 so as far as i was concerned i was like hey this is great but i i do i agree with the casting is good i think for the most part, the visual effects are pretty good. Yeah, I think it's great. I'm just like, yeah, I, I don't know. I guess for me, you know, we talked about it on the Dune podcast that we did. Mm-hmm. For me, when I love a novel, like I read The Stand when I was 12. It was like mm-hmm. my first big novel I ever read and I just loved it. But for me, it's just like the book Dune. This to me is a companion piece. It's never going to replace the book. So I'm not looking for it to be better than the book. I'm just looking for it to be entertaining and to kind of reinform areas of the book, you know? Yeah. People who judge limited series compare it to the book. I mean, I think that's kind of foolish. It's just like a foolish idea because obviously you're not going to make it better than the source material. I mean, that almost never happens ever. So the expectation that that will happen is just... I don't know, it just strikes me as kind of silly. Books and TV series or movies or whatever, they're almost, a, they are a different medium, but it's almost like saying, well, I like the taste of this better than I like the smell of that. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, wait a minute. One is a taste, one is a smell. Yeah, they're totally. senses. They're not the same. 
That's a good analogy. That's a really good analogy. That's pretty accurate. I probably have to steal that. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, well, besides uh, the stand, which, like I say, uh, we we haven't watched the episode that came out last Thursday or Friday yet, so we still have a couple episodes left. But that's on our to do list. We'll probably watch one of those tonight. Besides that, we were watching. Um, I mean, I, honestly, I wish I could tell you what I was watching, but I've kind of lost track of everything. Oh, we're watching Wandavision. That's what it is. Wandavision. It's so good. Yeah, it's it's real wild. <laughs> I love it. Oh. I you know I grew up on I Love Lucy and the Brady Bunch and all that stuff. Like yeah, Nick at Night, and so the first few episodes. I mean, I it looks like they're going to kind of get away from that because it keeps in the few episodes that have come out the era of television that's being represented keeps kind of lurching forward. Morphing. Yeah. yeah, so it looks like they're probably like get through that setup for the show before too long. But from what I've seen so far, for me, it's really endearing. And I'm not even that big of a Marvel movie fan, honestly. I watched the last three Avengers movies, kind of like half paying attention to them because I'm kind of over it now. And don't get me wrong, they're not bad. There's nothing bad there unless you want to count the fact that every one of those movies has 45 minutes of fight choreography. (laughs) I know, I know. There's like a 15 minute long scene where people are like play fighting each other and doing witty banter the whole time. I just tune out. My eyes gloss over. You know, maybe that's a product of watching real fighting in real life. Or maybe, yeah. it's, or maybe it's just that all those scenes just kind of seem the same in every movie. Yeah, it's it's hard for me to rewatch them on the small screen. I've like tried because we have Disney like you and we're watching WandaVision. Like I've tried to go back and watch Avengers and I'm just like, man, I'm struggling trying to get through this, man. Yeah, it's, it's not quite as like they're not quite as epic as I know think some people kind of make them out to be. And I don't, again, I'm not being a hater. I'm not being a hater at all because I do enjoy them yeah. and I enjoy all the comics and everything. But this actually makes yet another great segue here because the Marvel Cinematic Universe that we know today got started with the first one was Iron Man. And that kind of launched the Marvel Cinematic Universe that we know today. And Iron Man was directed by Jon Favreau. Yeah, not only directed, I think he wrote it also. He wrote the, well, it would make sense because the movie has that sort of like- He's a genius. Yeah, okay. And that's a great segue for our subject for today, which is The Mandalorian, because it's created and many of the episodes are directed by Jon Favreau. Who yeah. is? I couldn't agree more. And I don't know about you, but I liked John Favreau's movies before he ever made Iron Man. I think Maid and Swingers are both awesome, hilarious oh. independent movies with lots of heart and great scripts. Dude, Swingers has to be one of the greatest independent movies ever made. For real, for so real. And they're good. both, and Maid is also like, they're both really good, really funny, like I said, with a lot of heart. And John Favreau had proved himself to me as a director back when he was like making movies that he also starred in, you know, in the 90s. And the fact that he is now this mega director, this huge Goliath of the film industry, you know, it's pretty cool. It's pretty rewarding. And honestly, Mando deserves the love. In our first episode of the show, we're uh, this would be the 15th or 16th or something like that episode of the podcast. And our first one, we did Star Wars. And while we were talking about Star Wars, we were talking about how the Star Wars film franchise had devolved into like sort of a money-making apparatus and how it just was getting all these crazy spinoffs. And at the time, I don't think either of us had watched Mando or maybe you had seen like an episode or a couple episodes at that point. And now you've seen it all, right? Yeah. I think at that point I had watched an episode or two and I just could not get into it at first. But 
There's this weird phenomenon for me, and I think it's like this for a lot of people, where before I can even get into a series sometimes, WandaVision wasn't like that because I used to read Vision all the time. But for me, until someone is like, this is amazing, I almost have this resistance to investing emotionally into it. But when as soon as the people started saying Mandalorian is genius, that's when I went back. And that was pretty recent. And honestly... It does a good job of tamping down a lot of the things from both the Star Wars and the Marvel movies that kind of gets annoying, like a lot of the cliches. And it relies on different cliches, obviously. Let's stop for a second and explain Mando to those who haven't seen Mando at all. And also, I'm going to put this on the title of this episode, but this episode is going to be completely replete with spoilers. So if you haven't seen this show, don't listen to this episode. Do not, because we're going to spoil the shit out of this TV show. Because <laughs> I'm going to tell you all the actors that appear in it and just everything. So, you know, get ready for that. If you're still listening and you haven't seen it, stop. Okay, so Mando is basically a Star Wars universe spinoff starring a Mandalorian who wears armor similar to Boba Fett because Boba Fett actually wore Mandalorian armor, but Boba Fett was not himself a Mandalorian. Boba Fett, if you'll remember from the Star Wars movies, is a clone of Jango Fett, and they're all clones that, if I'm remembering my details correctly, they're the same clones that make the uh, stormtroopers and cause the whole clone wars saga. Yeah, stupid, 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 but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, when I first saw the show come up, I actually thought it was a show about Boba Fett. And it turns out it's not. It's about a completely independent character. But what they're really actually doing here is Lone Wolf and Cub. I don't know if you are familiar with Lone Wolf and Cub, but that was a Japanese television show in the 60s and 70s. And it's about. No, I was not. Okay, well, I, I recommend checking. You can find these on YouTube and I think you can rent them. But it's a television show about a lone samurai who has a child in tow who goes around adventuring like a samurai. Oh my gosh. And <laughs> this, this show is basically that. It is basically that show. And we talked to before about how George Lucas, when he was creating the Star Wars universe, relied really heavily on Japanese cinema to get the feel for the Star Wars universe. And, you know, when Jon Favreau created this series, he definitely ran with that so hard because not only is the overall plot basically that, the Lone Wolf and Cub, but he also does Yojimbo. You know, I like to call Mandalorian the side quest television show because Mando has this main objective of protecting the child, the quote unquote baby Yoda. But every episode he goes to some place and they're like, yeah, we'll help you with your quest if you help defeat this thing that's destroying our village, which is basically what happens in Seven Samurai basically what happens in Yojimbo. So the Akira Kurosawa movie similarities also run really strong in this. Yeah, it's crazy because I love the aspect, like we talked about that, like the how they borrow from like George Lucas did and mm -hmm. Quentin Tarantino did, where they're just borrowing these different great elements from different movies and then just sticking them all in a mm -hmm. stew. And they're doing that. And, and what I, I love the whole Kung Fu, you know, Kung Fu is that series with David Carradine oh, yeah. where he was a Kung Fu monk in the West. Right. And so there was this mashup. 
And that's all this is. It's a spaghetti Western in frickin' space where yeah. he's just borrowing all these different tropes. I don't even think we know. Do we know Mando's name? I mean, that is such yeah, a spaghetti they, Western. They do name. reveal his name, but it's not like a very big plot point. He's mysterious, right? Like Clint Eastwood, you know? It's like Jim Joran or something like that. I, uh, I, I did not write that down. But yeah, very much like the man with no name. In fact, John Favreau says that Mando is inspired by the man with no name. Wow. Himself. Like so he actually cool. has come out and said that. And this all goes back to the, we've talked about this several times now, the hero with a thousand faces and mm-hmm. about how it makes sense for Mando to keep his helmet on through the course of the series because who he is as a person is secondary to the fact that he is a iconic hero, that he's playing this prototypical hero, strong, quiet, reliable. Hardly speaks at all. Yes. Relies on his honor. Yep. Every question is, where did you get that armor? Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> well, that's that's one cool thing. Like, I, I love that. Like, it's kind of like a video game. The show is because as he side quests along, he slowly gains pieces of his armor to like build his armor out and you know level up, and then eventually he gets like a jetpack. And towards the very end of the series, he gets a staff made of Beskar. All this material. Oh, the staff is so rad. It's so it's so rad. It really is. And as much as I love hating on popular stuff. We're kind of both like that a little bit too, where we're both like, just because it's popular doesn't mean we're going to gush over it. But a lot of the things that happen in the show cause me to do that. It does. It makes, it kind of reignites some of my Star Wars love, which had definitely been fading for quite a while. But uh, I learned quite a few things like Beskar is impervious to lightsaber attack. Lightsabers can cut through basically everything but Beskar. That's the metal, right? That's the metal that the armor is made of. His jetpack is made of. His staff is made of. His helmet. It's all made of this very rare, very difficult to find material called Beskar, which is good for trading. He is able to use it to trade, and he finds Beskar and has it melted down to make new pieces of armor. Yeah, it's dude, it's the whole thing. I'm going to tell you, man. What I love about it is the fact that John Favreau hit upon and i can't even imagine how long it took him just to come up with this concept where you you know you have these rules in it because a lot of this is so different like you're saying from star wars Mm -hmm. it's in that universe but he's got like to me the most genius thing that he did as a storyteller was create you have this character who is very mysterious very clint eastwood right uh but you pair him with the cutest baby Yoda thing. And from a commercial standpoint, uh, like I have, I, I, we were staying uh, before or right after Christmas with a friend of ours and she had a, a son that's two years old and he had never seen the Mandalorian. And so I'm like, come on, let's watch this. And he's like, okay. And he'd never really seen Star Wars. Dude, he fell so in love. Like we watched the whole series together and he's two years old, but only because of Baby Yoda. And to me, it's like it's appealing to this cross-generational thing where I'm seeing Clint Eastwood in in it and he's seeing Baby Yoda, but we can watch it together. That's freaking insane. I'm able to appreciate Baby Yoda too as like a, you know, a middle-aged man. I could still look at that and be like, okay, I get it. It's adorable. It's cute. I get that. You know what I mean? It's not my reason for watching but i certainly don't hate it in fact i bought my wife one of like the toy of the year the little animatronic 
baby. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> and which, you know, I bought it for her because she likes, you know, when she's watching the show, it is the thing that she's most interested in. But my wife, too. I bought it for her as a gift, but I'm not going to lie. I love going over there and touching it and making it do its little animatronic. <laughs> you know? Dude, I mean, think about how difficult that is for him. You know what I mean? It's like, not only are we going to pull from this universe, I'm going to pull and, and morph it. We're not just going to have a Yoda. We're going to have a baby Yoda. Right? You know what I mean? It's like, man, dude, you are such a freaking genius. You know what else I liked about, I love about the series? What's that? It reminds me, and I don't know if you've ever seen this and i don't even know if i'm remembering it correctly but i remember being really young mm-hmm. and seeing the series buck rogers okay yeah yeah and so like he's adventuring right absolutely it, I, I love the trope of how every time like the show or most times that the show starts mandalorian starts his ship they show it in outer space mm-hmm. and it sets the theme that he, they don't start on the planet for the most part he right. just starts like either. and it reminds me of like those old like buck rogers you know maybe space even opera buck, yes it does exactly. it definitely has like, it definitely has like a space opera and like you say like the fact that most episodes take start in space uh which you're absolutely right about and you know i'm not i'm just now realizing this too is that like it's trying to set up that mood of widespread adventure you know yes he's 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 on the road you know he's he's a hero without a home yes exactly you know and that's absolutely you're completely on point with that here's another thing i really like about the show even though like most star wars lately it does have quite a bit of cgi in it one thing that this that john favreau did that i really really appreciate is he's working practical effects back into the star wars universe in a really wonderful way like we talk about baby yoda whose name is grogu by the way uh like they reveal the character's name in a later episode that character is done entirely or almost entirely with practical effects it's a puppet instead of being a you know a cgi character it's not what's his stupid name the character everyone hated from the prequels Oh God, Jar Jar Binks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, he yeah. took, he took the lesson that was learned with Jar Jar Binks and really like went with it. Okay, so in one of the new movies, they had the Porgs, the little furry things with the great big eyes. Yep. And they they were trying to do what John Favreau did successfully, which was create a cute character that was became very beloved which is exactly what George Lucas was trying to do when he created Jar Jar Binks. And they failed because of the uncanny valley. When your brain recognizes that what you're looking at isn't actually there, that it's animation, that it's, that it's fake, that it's false. Yeah. It's a lot harder to connect with it emotionally. And because of Baby Yoda is being like, and I, John Favreau fought for this. He fought some of the producers of the show to make sure that he was able to use practical effects to create that character. And, you know, obviously, he deserves all the praise in the world for fighting for that because look how popular that character is. It's Oh my gosh. You know, even the Yoda and the prequels, when they had him fighting with the lightsaber, I hated that. Oh, it was so bad. I was like, dude, it was, this is so, it was it so just stupid. pulled you yeah. out of the movie. Even the new movies don't have much practical effects in them. Like even the, the new episodes, seven, eight, nine. He, yeah. JJ Abrams fought for practical sets, but I think they ended up using CGI. It was like, but I, I, I agree. 
Yes, I agree. I think that Fabro hit on it even more where it's like he could see what worked, you know? My wife and I do a list. We both made a list of 100 movies. A friend of mine had this idea, my friend Andrew. And he, he and his wife did a list of 100 movies and they take turns picking one from each other's list, like rolling dice and randomly picking a movie from one another's list and then watching it. And then like, you know, talking about if it still held up and all that. My wife and I started doing it. And one of the things I put on there was Little Shop of Horrors. And I just wa- we just watched this last night. And it's all practical effects, of course, because it was made in the 80s. And Audrey 2, the plant monster in that movie, is entirely, entirely practical effects. But go watch clips of that. Go watch, just get on YouTube and just watch some clips of it. It is masterful, masterful. And what happened is visual effects people were just reaching the peak of what was possible using practical effects in the 80s and just getting their hitting the full stride of what they could do on film and right when they were doing that digital effects came and everybody just abandoned these practical effects and puppets and animatronics because they were like oh we'll just animate it and what happened was you had a good 20 year period where all those visual effects looked like dog shit they look horrible because, you know, they basically started over and like started from the beginning again. And, you know, you I'm sure you remember like Alien 3, the horrible CGI aliens and Alien 3 and even stuff that looked good at the time, like James Cameron's The Abyss. You know, at the time when you see it, you're like, oh, this looks so cool. But when you go back and look at it now, it's, you know, once again, you've got that uncanny valley. But, like you know, I'm really happy to see that they're moving back that direction. And I hope they continue to do that. I think that's also something that's more accessible to independent filmmakers. And I I like to champion independent film. Yeah. And I I just don't think it becomes as as dated, you know, I mean, obviously on the big blockbusters, practical effects are very expensive, like, or even just take Mm -hmm. the shining, you know, they rebuilt parts of the hotel and, you know, for so many movies, if they have a massive blockbuster budget, obviously practical Mm -hmm. effects can get really expensive, but yeah, it holds up. Forget about how bad the story is. When you go back and watch the Star Wars prequels, it's it's cringeworthy. You can't even look at them. Like you can't even, even if the scripts were fantastic, it would be hard to watch these movies. Because not even 20 years later, five or 10 years after these movies came out, you're already like, oh, man, they look shitty. (laughs) Um, And and it's such a bummer. And that's what they get for making main characters CGI, you know, with tons of screen time. That's that was a bad idea to begin with. Those movies came out only maybe 10 years after CGI film was introduced. You know what I mean? So they still weren't ready to produce great visual effects yet. No, not yet. What's interesting for me is that, like I said, I think at first with the series in the first episode, I had trouble identifying because I Mm -hmm. couldn't see his face and he didn't speak much. And I was just like, but I don't know what it is and I don't know why, but it Mm -hmm. just grew on me where I was just, it's so weird, man. It was such a a weird thing because I was convinced that they had made a mistake and I was not going to like it. I was like, I just don't, I can't, I can't identify with this character. I think at first he is an inaccessible character because he doesn't, he doesn't care about anything. He, and even when he's got the child with him at the beginning, he's extremely no, standoffish to the child. And he's just like, it's on my honor to protect it. It's not because I actually care. Yeah. You know what I mean? Good point. But as the series progresses, it, you know, his humanity or his Mandalorianity comes out, you know, and he, he starts to feel, and 
again, spoilers here. Eventually, he sacrifices his own quote-unquote honor and removes his helmet so that he can protect the child. And it shows that his yeah. priorities have shifted and you know his humanity comes out. And then he does eventually remove his helmet. You see that he's played by Pedro Pascal, who is a wonderful, super underrated actor. Oh, man, he's one of the best in the world right now. I mean, he is amazing. We've recently talked about movies that we've recommended, and I talked about Prospect. If you haven't seen that one, I highly recommend that one. It stars Pedro Pascal, and it came out right before The Mand- Mandalorian came out. And it's like an independent science, sort of independent science fiction movie with a ton of practical effects. And he is Oscar-worthy in this movie, in my opinion. I gotta watch it. Well, he, so he is watch it. most excellent. When I found out that he was in the Mandalorian helmet, it really, for me, that helped bring it all together because I had just seen him in this other stuff. And, you know, he's in other movies as well, although he wasn't exactly a household name. And he probably even still isn't a household name because he wears his helmet throughout this entire series, you know? <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's in That's like true. a couple of episodes of Game of Thrones, but he doesn't, you know, he doesn't have a big main part except for Mando. And, you know, unfortunately for him, Mando doesn't get much face time. But he just is part of a really great cast for this show, in my opinion. And that's one thing I really liked about this show is that they put a bunch of... Honestly, man, after John Favreau completely made one of the greatest movies ever freaking made. Oh, yeah. Elf. <laughs> that was on my wife's list, and we just watched that one recently, too. Who doesn't watch Elf every single Christmas? I mean, he, he made one of the most iconic films ever. And every time I watch it, I'm like, this is the greatest film ever. I love it. I only watch it at Christmas, but it's freaking great. But obviously, if he says, hey, I want you to work with me, it's like it's now like Scorsese. Yeah. Yeah. Where you're just like, oh, I don't care what you're doing. Yeah, I'm the, work the people with you, that are you know? in this television show, like Giancarlo Esposito, who played Gus Fring on Breaking Bad, is the main villain of the show. Great main villain. He's super scary. Everybody knows who he is. You've got Carl Weathers, yep. who's a main character on the show. For all of us old guys, Carl Weathers is, you know, iconic. You know, who didn't watch Predator and Rocky? Yeah. He convinced Werner Herzog to be... How in the world? Dude, that is, was insane. Like, when that scene came up and I saw that it was Werner Herzog in the show, I could not believe it. I literally could not believe it. I was like, how in the fuck? Did they convince him to be in this show? And I later found out that Werner had never seen any Star Wars at all. He had never seen a Star Wars movie, never any of the TV shows. He knew of them, of course, but then he appeared in the show. Then he watched the episodes as they premiered and loved it. He called it filmmaking at its finest. Werner Herzog called this show filmmaking at its finest. And if you guys don't know about Werner, I mean, he is a documentary filmmaker and a uh, sort of, I wouldn't quite call him an experimental filmmaker, but an independent filmmaker. And he is world renowned for being- He's an auteur. Absolute auteur. And his standards are very high for the films he makes and what the things that he's a part of. And so to get him on there, also Amy Sedaris is on there, who I absolutely love. She's so goddamn funny. Did you ever see Strangers with Candy? No, no, I didn't. Oh, well, that was like a Comedy Central show back in the 90s, and she's on it, and she is hilarious. She also does these great books of crafts where they're like sarcastic craft books, and they are I, – I dare you to read a few pages of one of her craft books without crying laughing because they are so Ugh. funny. You've got Bill Burr playing a pretty main character on this show. I know. Dude, you know what? 
That was like my favorite episode, I think, or one of them was No Prisoner. I loved the different characters and the, again, another yeah, side yeah. episode. There's a lot of that. There's a lot of that side quest and, you know, characters. But one thing is in the second season, he pulls a lot of the characters that you see earlier in the show back and some die along the way. So you don't, they don't get to come back. Taika Watiti, who directed like Jojo Rabbit, plays IG-11 in the show. And that character's really cool. Nick Nolte's in the show. Let's see. I'm looking through the cast list here. Gina Carano, John Leguizamo, and Michael Bean both have characters in the show. Jason Sudeikis is apparently, he plays a trooper with his helmet on <laughs> an episode. But, you know, so the show has a really good cast. It's got the best production value of any Star Wars thing, period. Except for maybe... The Empire Strikes Back in the context of the time it was made. But yeah, it has very little of that uncanny valley I worry about. No, it's great. Here, Here's a little uh, tidbit, really funny, that my buddy, really close friend of mine, was a set designer on season two of Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting about that is that he he works in Hollywood and he's in the union for set designers, is that when COVID hit, he was like, dude, I don't have anything to do. I'm like, good. Come over here and help me build the van. <laughs> and so he came over there and, and helped me help me build the cabinets for the Sprinter van and then went back right back onto uh, Mandalorian. And so are there any pieces of your van made of Beskar now? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so so he uh when he went back, he was always texting me pictures from on the set and shit. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that is massive. That's amazing. So is it filmed in Hollywood? Yes, in Hollywood. Yeah, is where they did it. Yeah. A lot of those TV shows lately get filmed in Georgia. I just left. Dude, them. I can't believe you just said that. He's in Georgia right now. So he's in Georgia for maybe the next three, four months. And he said the sound stages and everything are um, rival Hollywood. I just left there, so I know uh, quite a bit about this, actually. The roommate I lived with before I moved out was an actor for a living. So I got like the first-hand look at all this. The Marvel Cinematic Universe filmed all of their movies, all of the, not starting with Iron Man, but starting a few movies later, they moved all of their productions to Georgia. So all of those Avengers movies and Thor movies, those are all filmed in Georgia. And then Disney was having such success with that that once they bought all the Lucas films rights, they were just like, well, I'll just make them here too. So they probably do like split their time between Hollywood and Georgia, depending on, you know, what they're filming. I would guess. Wow. That's so cool. Well, I tell you what, my, you know, talking about cast, this might is probably the time to talk about it. My favorite, this blew my mind, the cameo at the end. What were you thinking? I've got two things about the cameo at the end that kind of blow my mind. Okay, so the cameo you're talking about, which again, this is a big reveal. So at this point, you haven't seen the final episode of the show. Please don't listen to me talk any further. But okay, at the very end of the episode, of the final episode, Luke Skywalker shows up and rescues Grogu, Baby Yoda, and takes him on to train as a Jedi, one would assume, is what happens. Okay, so Mandalorian takes place five years after the return of the Jedi. So it's young Luke Skywalker. It's, you know, Luke Skywalker around the age of 30 or so. And you uh, jump back in there with the cameo. 
Yeah, I mean, really, for me, it was very, very organic in the sense, which was so rad, because as I was watching the episode unfold, they were put into this situation, which was a completely no way out. It's the end. We're completely screwed. They had these death robot, which really reminded me of Iron Man. You could tell that was a big John Favreau moment when all of the robot troopers, the black troopers. Yeah, the death troopers death or whatever, troopers, whatever they were called. called. Yeah, so they're these black robots that are the, the new iteration of stormtroopers and they're robots and they're basically indestructible. And so our crew is done. They're dead. They're freaking, it's over. And what happened was Baby Yoda Grogu. He had been kidnapped like an episode or two earlier. They were getting him back. They were aboard a destroyer, I think. It was like a rescue attempt, and it was a suicide mission. Mm -hmm. And they're dead, right? And so it's like, fuck. And I'm just like, all right, well, I guess, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. They'll have to pull something out of their ass because they're done, you know? And all of a sudden, freaking, you see on one of the the surveillance cameras from outside the ship, you see an X-Wing is coming and I just went, oh, I just knew immediately it's an X-Wing. Right. And I knew that I knew that this was five years after again, after Return of the Jedi. And so it was like, oh my God, it's fucking gonna be Luke Skywalker. And I, I think the only scene that really rivaled this for me in the Star Wars universe was at the end of Rogue One mm-hmm. when you had Darth Vader. Vader. Yeah, I was the, that one too. That's like my favorite Star Wars movie. And it was such an echo of that. It was almost the same scene. It very is. Like instead of killing rebel alliance soldiers, killing these black trooper robots or whatever, but yeah. basically he just shows up and just lays waste to them using his Jedi powers that are at their height at this point. Yeah. It's five years after Jedi. So Luke is as powerful as a Jedi as he's ever going to be. And he just comes in and just completely deals with all these people. But that does set up what I consider to be the biggest fault of this series. Mm, let's hear it. And it's this. Okay. While it makes complete sense for the series if the series existed in a bubble, unfortunately, the series exists as a prequel to episodes 7, 8, and 9, to The Force Awakens and so forth. And those movies take place about 20 years later or 25 years later or so. And it's revealed in those movies that Luke had spent some time after the destruction of the second Death Star trying to find more Jedi to rebuild the Jedi Order. Mm-hmm. And one would assume that that's why he rescues Grogu, so that he can train him as a Jedi, because Grogu's already received Jedi training and has powers of the Force, and he shows up to rescue him. But then in episode seven, eight, nine, you hear nothing about Grogu. There's no mention of Grogu. There's no Yoda-like Jedi out there somewhere. Because those movies were made before The Mandalorian was made, it kind of, to me, seems like a plot hole now. Maybe he died. (laughs) Surely there are ways to wake out of that plot hole. Maybe he ended up back yeah. with Mando somehow. Is there going to be a season three? Because I was like, how, how are they going to do a season three? It doesn't even make sense. Let's say jump forward like five years or 10 years after. Yeah, there's no child anymore, but maybe he'll come back. We'll have to see what happens. Maybe jumping forward is not a bad idea. And again, that's not like a show ruining fault, especially since there are ways to write your way out of it. But as things stand right now, I'm kind of left scratching my head going, wait a second. There's this very 
super important character, important enough so Luke Skywalker himself comes and rescues him and that we never hear about again. So I don't know. Hopefully there's an explanation for that. Uh, I'm sure the studio is getting lots of this kinds of comments on the old message board. I'm sure they're going to use that as an opportunity with create curiosity. Okay. So listen, before we wrap up, I talked about my top two uh, scenes or or episodes were one where it's the finale. Having Luke show up was insane. Uh, Number two was the prisoner, but I'm going to move number two, the prisoner or no prisoner to number three. My second favorite, I thought they did this so effing well, I couldn't even believe it, was when Boba Fett was on. I thought Boba Fett's character was insane. Honestly, I love that because Boba Fett, I always thought was really overrated because in the original, in all the movies he appears in, he doesn't do jack shit. He doesn't do anything. The only cool thing Boba Fett does in any of the movies is figure out that the Millennium Falcon is being washed away with the garbage and follows it. That's the only smart thing that that character does. Other than that, he's basically Vader's bitch and then gets accidentally knocked into the goddamn Sorlak pit. I was like, wow, that character's supposed to be awesome and everything, but he's on screen for like five minutes. And it's the worst death yeah. that you've ever seen. <laughs> You'll find out later that he doesn't actually die. You know, he works his way out of that. And then in that episode, which was, I agree, a fantastic episode, he shows how badass he is, you know? Oh my gosh. He was amazing. And yeah, he, he really was really well. And then you, they pick, they use the same actor too, which was also hella awesome. Yeah. I, I couldn't believe it, man. I, I was, it was really cool to have him back. That was the same actor who's always played Boba Fett. Yeah. His name is, I had no idea. Tamara Morrison, but he at least played Boba Fett. I don't know if he played Boba Fett in the original movie because you don't see Boba Fett's place, but he plays Boba Fett in the prequels. Let me see if he plays how far back he does in the attack of the clones. Yeah. Okay. So he doesn't play. Oh, he does. He's, he does play Boba Fett in the empire strikes back. Oh my gosh. How's that for trivia? That's insane. I'm, I'm blown away right now because <laughs> he was so good. He was awesome. And he's a great actor too. And it's cool that he actually gets a chance to do some acting in the uh, episode. Yeah. They redeemed Boba Fett for me. And I, I, there's no way I thought that was going to happen. Yeah. And I agree the same way. Like I was like, uh, who cares about, Boba? like, I think Boba Fett's one of those characters that the fandom sort of ran away with. Yeah. But they, they yeah. redeemed, they redeemed him and they made the fandom make sense now. I mean, it's sort of like, retroactive so all the people that were like huge boba fett fans before it still didn't make sense to me but at least now when you're like i'm a boba fett fan i'm like well yeah because he was so badass in that episode of mando you mean (laughs) (laughs) exactly because other than that he didn't really do anything but one other character that they i wanted to point out is ahsoka tano who's played by rosario dawson who's that lone female jedi out in the forest in the episode yeah she's amazing in chapter 13 the jedi and that character and she's from the clone wars right yeah exactly she's a main character in the animated clone war series which i haven't seen all the episodes of but the few episodes i have seen i really enjoyed so it's cool they brought that character back and assigned her a real life actor and also i love rosario dawson too so you know another great addition to this cast although she didn't get very much screen time in the show but she was pretty badass in the screen time she did get dude the whole series now that i'm thinking about it i'm like man i gotta go back and watch it again yeah we probably will i my wife and i probably will too and okay so here you are guys this is us actually both fully recommending a star wars yeah, isn't that crazy, isn't that crazy? <laughs> so yeah it is this was tooth's idea 
to do this episode. Yeah. Because I was like, we kind of tried to take turns. Without reservations, we recommend this. Yeah. He knocked it out of the park. Absolutely. And, you know, John Favreau will only continue to grow in his legend as a filmmaker, in my opinion. Whew. Yeah. Complete genius. If you haven't seen it, we just ruined it for you. So I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but if you have seen it, I'm sure that at least some of this trivia might be interesting to you, but I'm sure you're also nodding going, yep, yep, that's true. <laughs> yeah. I think next episode, I, I just had this thought. What do you think about doing the Mad Max franchise? Oh, that's perfect. As the next one. Oh my gosh, I just watched Fury Road for the 80th time. Yeah, I've seen it so many times. times. But you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to find the black and white version. Oh, yes. Which is what the director wanted to film it as anyways. Mm -hmm. That was the first thought was black and white. And so they released it as a black and white. So I'm going to watch it that way next. Uh, it's one of my favorite films ever. Man. I would love to do I've that. seen Mad Max and The Road Warrior fairly recently within the past like year and a half or two years. But I haven't seen Thund Beyond Thunderdome since I was a little kid. <sighs> and I remember people hating on Beyond Thunderdome and, and uh, my memory of it is so fuzzy that I was like, well, maybe that's the one bad movie in the franchise, you know. But when you look it up on IMDb, I'm doing it right now. It's only got a 6.3, but it's got a 71 meta score and it's got an 80 percent on Rotten <laughs> Tomatoes. That's a good score on Rotten Tomatoes, you know. I'm actually thinking it's probably better than I remember it being, or like at least better than the impression I got from other people commenting on it at the time. I'm going to have to watch that one pretty soon too. My wife will be so happy. She'll cry. It's her favorite series ever. She loves every single Mad Max. So awesome. yeah, that'll be cool. It'll be cool to watch them all in succession. All right, man. That was a good one, dude. All right, I'm cool. This one. Uh, that was a good one. Yeah, Mando was such a good series, man. If you're uh, fans of Mando, leave us some comments. Tell us stuff we missed. Tell us stuff we got wrong. You know, we want to know. We want to know the, all that stuff. Yes. All right, brother. Until next time. All right, man. Later, brother. Peace. Guys, if you're enjoying the Infinite Worlds podcast, you could definitely check out more Infinite Worlds related stuff by visiting our website, infiniteworldsmagazine.com. There you can subscribe to Infinite Worlds magazine. It's a full-color, ad-free science fiction magazine featuring stories, comics, and illustrations from creators all over the world. You can also sign up to our mailing list. You can follow us on Instagram at Infinite Worlds Magazine or on Twitter at IWSciFiMag. Also, you can find Nick the Tooth on Instagram at Nick the Tooth and follow his wild escapades. Theme song was written by Christopher Whitaker, and our podcast is produced by Andrew Alonzo. 